If you have a copy of uh, a Bible with you, whether that be something that's electronic or hard copy, uh, we are going to be uh, this evening in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16, uh, beginning at verse 28. The Gospel of John at chapter 16, verse 28. Uh, This is uh, the word of our God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Uh, This is the ending of the reading of God's Word. Uh, Let's pray as we begin to open the Word together. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, these words would remain as printed words on these pages if it wouldn't be your Spirit to come and in a manner of speaking, to lift these words off the pages. Uh, Lift these words, Lord, off of our electronic devices. And you would bring home your truth, your grace, your many mercies. Oh, Father, quicken our hearts. We know that we need your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to be our guide. We pray, Lord, that in these selections of Scripture or other places in this night or in the coming weeks, you might come and powerfully move over our hearts and transform our minds and set our feet upon the pathway, Lord, uh, leading in such ways that we walk with you, our God and our Father. And so minister to us now. We commit all these things to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So why start a series on the topic or the doctrine of adoption? Uh, Why teach on that topic? What's so important about it? Now the adoption that we're talking about is spiritual adoption. And friends, I I hope in the coming weeks that I'll be able to convey to you that even in our own 
Reformation heritage, that this doctrine of adoption has some unique characteristics to it, uh, and as well, some unique timeliness about it in the history of the church. And I hope to be able to convey some of that to us as the weeks go on by. But we're talking about spiritual adoption, being what? Being welcomed into God's family and being entrusted with the wonderful privileges and responsibilities. So we're welcomed into his family. Uh, We are then entrusted with wonderful privileges and bestowed upon us those privileges along with God's calling with respect to various responsibilities. Well, again, in this first sermon here tonight, as we begin this series, He Owns Me for His Child. That's our series, He Owns Me for His Child. What's so important about this teaching truth? What's so important about this truth? We're going to cover two areas tonight. This doctrinal truth, this teaching subject area, summarizes the sweep the sweep of the whole of Jesus' own life. That's how important it is. It's a great summary. It's a dominant summary of his whole life, his earthly ministry. But then secondly, it's also important to take on this topic, this teaching point in the Scriptures, because it's a dominant theme in the sweep of the entire Bible. (laughs) You can walk through Genesis on all the way back into Revelation. And this is a dominant theme as well. It's one way to summarize the central message of the Bible. So two areas tonight from this passage. First of all, why study this topic? We see from this opening passage, John 16 at 28, we learn something that this is the whole of Jesus' life. His own sonship that he's in relationship to his Father. Look at verse 28. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world. And I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. There it is. (laughs) His own life is that he is the Son of God. He is the child of God. And he opens here on this passage, it's a great summary. Several Bible teachers go to a passage like this and saying, hey, do you want to summarize the Lord's life? Here it is. These four parts, you can see these four parts here as well. I came, I have come into the world, I am leaving the world, and I am going, that is to say, to return to my Father, or to the Father. It's a whole sweep of his life here. Now, think about this, friends. When you start talking about the sweep of someone's life, you know, when you want to get caught up and say, hey, tell me about your life. Tell me about, you know, your life. You know, what do we do? We'll sit down with them, maybe over a cup of coffee, and we'll start asking some questions. Well, tell us, you know, where were you born? Um, And then after that, of course, uh, where did you live live later? Uh, Do you have any brothers and sisters? Uh, How about your folks? Are your folks still in this area, or or do they live now somewhere else? Um, how long have you lived here? Uh, what, what do you do for a living? We're learning the sweep of someone's life. And you see, what are we doing when we, when we ask those kinds of questions? We are getting the context. 
We would never use those words, but that's what we're doing. We're, we're getting the context of a person's life. The context, the shape, um, the whole kind of character of that person's life. In John's Gospel, John is giving us why he presents. John gives to us in his own Gospel why he presents the life story of Christ the way he does. Back in John chapter 20, John gives us his purpose statement, why he wrote this Gospel. And in giving us that purpose statement, he's telling us something of the context of the makeup, the character, the life circumstances of why Jesus came into the world. John chapter 20, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs. That word sign or signs is John's way of speaking of miracles. Now, Jesus did many other signs. John chapter 20, at verse 30, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is now giving us the context in terms of what summarizes Jesus' own reason for coming. And it's very much related to our own question. Why study adoption? Why study adoption? Uh, yes, we get to learn something of this sweep of Jesus' life, but specifically from this purpose statement from John chapter 20, we see that Jesus came as the very Son, there it is, Son of God, for what purpose? That by believing, believing Him, trusting in Him, you would have life, life in His name. So a subset, a subset of the sweep of His life is to impart life to you. He is the Son of God, full of life. That's what John's going to tell us back in chapter 1. In Him was life. <laughs> And it was life. And so a subset of seeing the sweep of his purpose of sonship is to impart to you life. And so in studying the doctrine of adoption, being welcomed into God's family, it's to see, to know, to have, and to embrace that life that is ours by grace, by grace in Christ Jesus. Again, you have that in that very purpose statement from John's Gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, an expression of His Sonship. He was sent from His Father. It's to see, to know, to have, and embrace this life, and we embrace that life through His own Sonship. We'll talk a lot more about that as the weeks go by. Again, uh, we're thinking about adoption. What is adoption? Adoption is being legally declared being legally declared and certified. Of what? For what reason? That you belong to a certain family. <laughs> that you have the family name upon your life. That you have family resemblance. Family re resemblance. Hey, I know, that's a Christian. I can see that that's a Christian. He or she belongs to the Lord. Family resemblance. Adoption. Being legally declared and certified. You belong to the family. You have the family name. You have family resemblance. You have the family gifts, the arrangements, the order, the etiquette, the courtesies. You belong to the family. They're all yours now. The family's future. And now even here throughout Scripture, the family inheritance. 
the many promises bequeathed to you, the inheritance. It's all yours. That's the life that we're called to in Jesus Christ. And we receive that life by faith. It's a gift from heaven. He imparts life to us. Remember the Apostle Paul says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. To be bought with a price is redemption language. To be bought with a price is to be redeemed in that you've been purchased and brought into the family. Adopted as sons and daughters. So again, why study adoption? Because it's a dominant theme that characterizes the sweep of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and a subset point of that is that by he himself being in relation to his father, a son unto his father, he's come to impart life. New life through Christ by faith in him. Another subset under this whole matter of a sweep about his life as well is that in being in him, being adopted as sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus into his family, we also are set upon a course of life for purpose. And that's what you have in this same passage. Again, verse 28. It speaks also of purpose. I came from the Father, and I've come into the world. Do you see this other subset? What's so dominant is life. I'm now leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. It's purpose. Jesus has come into this world on a mission. And being united to Christ, he now colors all brand new purpose for your life. It flows out of his own mission. Now, it's just, it's just wonderful, friends, to see this. Watch this now. It's just wonderful. It's so, it's so soul-nurturing, so encouraging for us that as we are in these chapters... You know, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16. That's to say, we are a part of what is called the upper room discourse, or sometimes it's referred to as the farewell discourse. Jesus is soon, right? He's soon to be arrested, betrayed and arrested. Going to be tried. He's going to go to Calvary's cross. Well, the last two signs, again, the signs in John, there's, there, there are, I'm going to make sure I get enough fingers up here. There are seven signs in John's gospel. The last two in chapter 9, there's a man who's born blind. In chapter 11, sign number 7, in chapter 11, it's his good friend Lazarus who's been dead for the four days there in the tomb. And that's where Jesus weeps at the tomb. And even at the tomb, he cries out, and he has these words, Father, I have, I, I'm here so that your glory might be on display there at Lazarus' tomb. What's the point here? In terms of his purpose and why he came, Jesus came, according to John 9, that second to last sign is to heal this man born blind. On the Sabbath day, he heals them, heals him. And now he can see. And this whole matter then, this idea of purpose, is that Jesus came into the world to deal with sin's ruin in our bodies. Paul will tell us over in Ephesians, sorry, Romans, that we long for the redemption of our bodies to that full adoption. And Jesus brings us the onset of bodies that are ruined with sin. 
and he heals that man born blind. But then over here in chapter 11, again, the very last sign as we were about ready to move into the farewell discourse here, this farewell address, the very last sign is that it's a sealed tomb. And now Lazarus is there, dead for the four days. And we know then they say, remove the stone. He tells his workers, remove the stone. And they, and they move the stone. And then he brings, he brings forth that voice of authority, Lazarus, come forth. If over here in John 9, Jesus has come to overtake and overcome sin's ruin in our bodies, over here he's dealing in a precursor way, a way of, of, of coming attractions. He's dealing with the last enemy, death itself. So hope in this life, hope in life eternal. And he says, Lazarus, come forth. And it says, the man walked out, still in his grave clothes. Unbind him, he said. <laughs> so Jesus' purpose is that he overcomes the ruin of sin in this life, and he gives us a foretaste of defeating that very last enemy, death himself. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but when I think about this, this, this dominant theme of his life, and he imparts life to us, but also he, he resets our life on a course of purpose. He now fuels us. He now gives us resources for what? Turning sin back. And for what? Turning away from that bondage of slavery, being enslaved to death, that last enemy, because Jesus will one day finally conquer that last enemy. What encouragement this whole doctrine topic is. It's just glorious. And you have John here presenting for us this main statement of this is what his life is all about. I came from the Father. I have come into the world. I am leaving the world, and I am returning to the Father. You, you cannot, you cannot, you talk about a comprehensive statement of why Jesus came. There it is. And it all is in this context that he is a son serving unto his Father, and this is what he accomplishes. So that's the sweep of his life, and we will explore a lot more of that in the coming weeks. But then one more here. Adoption also is a major dominant theme about the whole sweep of the Bible. It's, the, it, it's found on the pages of the scriptures. And I, and I say this, I bring this to our attention, because if this verse 28 is this comprehensive statement with these four parts, then we're being told this is the whole, the whole reason of what's unfolded for us from the book of Genesis all the way back through Psalms and whatnot, back to Revelation. It's all about this centrality of Jesus and his own coming, but it's a whole sweep about sonship. It really is. Now, let me just ask you real fast. What's the typical, stay with me on this, what's the typical one-word answer that we give to someone if somebody asks us, again, maybe a neighbor, a co-worker, someone asks us, well, Mark, what would you say is the basic message of the Bible? And my tendency is to say, salvation. And true enough, we would say that, right? We would say that that's, a, that's an essential, basic message of the Bible, centrality of the Bible. What's it about? Salvation. 
But I want us to step back. Because when you see the sweep of the Bible a bit here, and this dominant theme of sonship, there's actually another one-word answer that should come to mind. If we want to be God-word and God-centered and have in mind uh, the opening of the pages of Scripture on through the middle sections and on back to the, to the, to the further middle sections and on into the back of the Scriptures, a one-word answer as to what is the basic message about is that God keeps covenant. Covenant. In our passage, look at John 17 now. Run your eyes a little bit down further. John 17 at verse 4. John 17, 4. He's in prayer. Father, I glorified you on earth. Now what? Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. You might read that verse this way. In relationship to you, Father, in my relationship to you, Father, I've accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That is the language of covenant. I have fulfilled the work. I have fulfilled and kept covenant. I have fulfilled and I've kept covenant, Lord, covenant with you, Father. I hope that we will explore the doctrine of the covenant as it relates to this over the weeks to come. Congregation of the Lord, we are covenant beings. This language of Jesus accomplishing and finishing the work that he was given to do is that covenantal language. What do we mean covenant language? What do we mean that we are covenant beings? Here are a few examples. Tomorrow, you likely have appointments. To keep appointments is to keep your word. Maybe on Thursday, you're going to be sure and pay the water bill. You're going to follow through on the agreement, the contract that you've signed. Husbands and wives that are here tonight, husbands and wives, you know something of the form of covenant make, making, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge myself to you. That's covenant making, and marriage is about covenant keeping. Uh, right now on the internet, or perhaps uh, probably the internet or maybe the television, we are listening to the proceedings regarding the nominee who's being interrogated, interviewed, examined as to being that next uh, proposed judge for the Supreme Court. Why? He made promises. He took an oath, and now he's being vetted, as we say. How well has he kept promises? How well has he carried out the oath? Has he kept covenant? Nations have treaties. Neighborhoods have homeowners' covenants. Business owners in Sugarland, county offices over here in Richmond, oaths are taken, contracts are written, agreements are reread in the fine print. Professors and students have homework or assignments. Those are forms of covenants. A syllabus is given in class. These are expectations. We are a covenant people. God has designed us that way. 
And so what are we saying when we talk about this sweep of a dominant theme from Genesis to Revelation that can be summarized with this language of adoption and sonship? What do we mean? Covenants entail relationships. Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. Covenants entail proper introductions. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Proper introductions. Herein named, we'll say this, herein named is the lessor and the lessee. (laughs) Proper introductions and covenants. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. There are written promises. There are written obligations. There are stated penalties typically for violations. There are reminders about fulfilling the obligations. And then, sure, to be sure, there are blessings that will result with obedience, with compliance, as we would say in our everyday everyday speech. And Jesus is in prayer to his Father. He's keeping covenant. Father, I've accomplished this work. You see, from Genesis to Revelation... The Lord teaches us these kinds of words. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. You can get on your bicycle, metaphor now, you can get on your bicycle and you can start riding in Genesis. When you get on your bicycle and you start riding through Genesis and you turn a corner and you start riding through Leviticus and you keep on going through Joshua, get to the Kings and the Chronicles and the Psalms, back to the prophets, eventually into the Gospels. You ride your bicycle all the way through the Gospels, all into Paul's letters. And you will get down to Revelation, and you'll have these kinds of words. Behold, Revelation 21, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That kind of language starts in Genesis, and it goes all the way through to the end of the Bible. I will be a God to them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. We're almost done. Here it is. Friends, I'm gripped at this. God could have used royalty. And the dominant theme throughout the Bible, Genesis to Revelation might be, I will be a king and you will be my subjects. God could have used education. I will be the teacher and you will be my students. God could have used the employment figure. I will be your employer, and you will be my employee. He doesn't do that. He uses family language. I will be your father. And you will be my sons and daughters. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. The central message of the Bible is the language that our God is a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. We call that covenant. 
And the way in his wisdom that he's determined to drive that home to our hearts is the language of family. I stop with this quote from J.I. Packer. Packer, still living, his 90s, wrote many books, very popular to help us to have our eyes fixed upon our God and who he is. Packer writes these words, You can sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new, better than the old. Everything that is distinctly, distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. And then Packer concludes, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. So why study this teaching topic? It summarizes the sweep of Jesus' own life. And it helps us to summarize what is expressed to us in the covenant that he will be our father and we will be his children all out of his grace. Are you living in faith in Christ tonight? Because to live in faith in Christ is to then be united to him and to be sons and daughters in the very Son of God himself. And to see and to know and to have and to embrace his nearness, his closeness, and that he walks with us as his children. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Christian life is this gift, and we desperately need, Lord, to treasure and to savor and to cherish this gift the gift of knowing you and loving you and serving you. It comes through your Son, O Lord. And what marvels and wonders and the jewels and gems that are all ours, Lord. Please, we pray, show us from your word and show us from these lessons what it means to be a child, a child of the living God. Father, for each of us, may we pray for one another that there might be new inroads of your truth into our hearts, new applications, new ways of walking with you. Help us, we ask. Lord, this is such good news. May we share it with others around us this week. Lord Jesus Christ, you receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. 
for indeed you came into this world to accomplish for us what we could not do. We cannot do. We praise your name. Hear us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.